Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Thursday. Continued. Sabrina was on 60 Minutes and Dateline 2020, 6040, Real Sports with Brian Gumble, Fake Sports with Byron Grimble, Clarissa Explains It All, and Hannity which would have impressed her noddingly conservative husband, were he not languishing in a hospital bed. Every time Sabrina flipped the channel, there she was, laughing with the anchors, chatting, perfectly quaffed and looking far more beautiful than all the Insta-mommies combined. She finally settled on a show called Everywhere Tonight. Tell me, Sabrina, an incredibly handsome, chin-dimple specimen asked, stars in his eyes, agog at her glory. How do you do it? You've got your fitness empire, pillow and duvet line, the new Peanuts comic strip? Screen Sabrina laughed, an aggressive, mirthless lady boss laugh that would make her inevitably nerdy assistant pee her pants in terror, and waved dismissively. I can't take all the credit, Dan Keith. I got a little help. The camera panned over to the side of the stage, where Dirk Perryman, or the thing passing as him, enters stage left, still wearing his filthy stained t-shirt and ripped jeans, but the crowd went wild anyway. Scream Perryman clasped his hands high over his head and waggled them, mugging for the audience. So glad you could join us, Dan Keith said. When we come back, and I will talk about some major changes coming to the Haskins household. Scream Sabrina winked at the camera. About time we shook things up around here. Just like a baby, Screen Perryman added, pantomiming a shaken infant. He tossed the imaginary baby to Dan Keith, who planted it feet first in an equally invisible blender and made pitch-perfect whirring sounds. The anchor wiped the imaginary baby guts off his forehead with the sleeve of his suit jacket, then smiled into the camera. Be right back. Damien kicked, scratched, clawed, but the big man who smelled like their house wouldn't let him go. Get off me, he yowled. The man clamped a meaty paw over his mouth. Not that there was anyone to care. His mother would have welcomed his abduction at any point during the last decade, but especially now. Michaela had gone from co-conspirator and confidant to arch enemy in the space of a day. Maybe this was her play, hiring some sicko off the dark web to do away with him, so he wouldn't torment her precious mother. What has Sabrina ever done for Michaela anyway? Nothing. Served him right for ever letting a lesser light in on his plans in the first place. The man drug him around the side of the house, past the mower. Damien had visions of his captor yanking the ripcord, shoving his face into the whirling, muck-encrusted blades, and up the back steps. Your mom's busy in the living room, the man said in his ear, tone friendlier than the circumstances warranted. Don't want to bug her. He lowered his voice. You like bugging her, don't you? No? The man shook him. Don't lie to me. I see everything and I know everything. Leave me alone. The man tucked Damien under his arm, easy as a morning paper, then opened the back door. I'm going to make sure you never bother her again. Damien tried to cry out, but the man squeezed him so tightly his yacht was born a wheeze and died on his lips. This way, Michaela said, then felt kind of dumb because of course their neighbor knew the way. The older woman didn't seem to notice, striding across the pavement with a macrame bag swinging from her shoulder, stuffed with all sorts of potions and powders and assorted grease grease. The totems of a half dozen religions the hippie had sampled like a tapas menu for most of her 60-ish years. 
Don't you worry. We'll get to the bottom of this, Zephyr said. I'm very sensitive. Ever since I was a little girl, I saw things that other people couldn't. The world isn't what they say it is. Okay. You're lucky to have a neighbor like me. Round here, all the Christians, they sprinkle your mother with holy water. She gagged on her words. Read some nonsense from that book of theirs and nothing would get done. Michaela furrowed her brow. The Haskins family thought of themselves as Christian, but their particular breed of Christianity was vague, limp, a wet rag. Still, she felt a little insulted. I, on the other hand, have traveled the world. New Orleans, Jamaica, learning from the masters, those with intimate knowledge of what lies beyond the veil. And just help my mom, okay? Michaela said, mounting the curb. Sabrina was gone. The front door closed. The more that had kicked off this latest meltdown still sat beside the house. Zephyr nodded curtly. I'll do my best. Damien squirmed in his captor's embrace. Many a time, he had pithily recited that old saw about the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, but his vaunted mind was of no help. Couldn't conjure up any novel solution to his predicament. Bite, scratch, claw, scream. The man dragged him down the hall. He caught a quick glimpse of Mom squatting in front of the TV, caressing the static with her fingertips, then up the stairs towards his parents' room. Damien smiled. The last part of his plan surprised. He sucked a breath in through his nostrils, tensed his muscles. The man hit the tripwire. Immediately, two massive buckets of pig's blood doused them. Damien squeezed his eyes shut, tried not to gag on the rancid iron tang in the air, all smells of particulate, and wriggled against his captor's grip. No use. Ugh, the man said. That's nasty. Then he carried the blood-soaked boy into the master bathroom like nothing had happened, nothing at all. Hot water rushed from the spigots, filling a tub, steam curled from the surface. The man plopped down the edge, dipping his free hand in the water. He only needed one ham hock to hold the boy. He sprawled it around, nodding to himself. Be full soon. Damien peed. A little. No, a lot. And then did a thing that the average 10-year-old did fairly frequently, though few would ever admit it. He cried out for his mother. On TV, Dan Keith Oberholt grinned and said, So, I understand you've got some major news regarding your number one hit show, playing heed to the Haskinsons. That's right, Dan Keith, screamed Sabrina, nodded at Screen Perryman. And I have been talking. Dan Keith held up a finger. Sorry to interrupt, but who exactly is Oh, is, I guess you could say he's our producer. In the living room, Sabrina leaned forward on the couch, barely blinking, eyes bone dry, unaware she was chewing her nails to the quick. Should we tell them, screamed Sabrina said, about the casting change? Screamed Perryman nodded vigorously, jowls bouncing up and down. Go right ahead, Sabrina, after all. Dan Keith, Screen Sabrina, and Screen Perryman all leapt into the air simultaneously and froze. Suspended above the stage, Water Legend, it's your family, smeared itself across the screen in the drippy, crimson font. The studio lights darkened, and the camera zoomed in on Screen Sabrina. Solemn music played in the background. As you know, Screen Sabrina said, a study in gravitas. Damien has been pulling his weight lately. He doesn't really add anything to the storyline, so we're writing him off. Writing him off, Dan Keith replied, mock shocked. That's right, Scream Perryman said, nodding stoically. If anything, he's a liability. Blood from her chewed fingers dribbled down the corner of Sabrina's mouth, the words echoing in her head. Liability, liability, liability. She saw the horned, capering, demonic creature that had chased her into the house, frothing at the mouth, ready to devour her very own soul. But she also saw the little boy underneath all that makeup. Obvious makeup. She'd really thought him a demon? She saw the baby he had been, the loquacious toddler, the curious and withdrawn boy he had become. Sure, she didn't understand him, and yes, he certainly unsettled her. Maybe he wasn't the child she dreamed of, and maybe the good Lord owed her another one, but at the end of the day, despite the half-finished pentagram scratched beneath her feet, the cheap Halloween get-up, all of it, he wasn't a liability. 
He's my son, Sabrina whispered. And then she heard it. Her finally acknowledged son, that bright, clever, diabolical little boy, screaming his bloody lungs out. Michaela yanked on the front door. It's stuck. Let me, Zephyr said, elbowing her aside. The older woman twisted the doorknob. Nothing. Then fiddled with Michaela's key. Still, the door wouldn't open. Zephyr huffed, backed away, looking the door up and down. It shut us out. What shut us out? The house. Zephyr opened her bag, rummaged through the assorted vials. When I came to visit your mother the other day, I felt it, but I had no idea the power. She trailed off, clinking glass speaking for her instead. What are we going to do? Michaela asked, hugging herself. Something was very, very wrong. The hairs on the back of her neck stood tall like in anticipation of a storm. But she couldn't fathom the precise nature of the disturbance. Still, she couldn't help but wonder. Mom had claimed the house was haunted, and now their neighbor was speaking of the structure as if it had purpose? Intention? How did that make sense? Zephyr produced a jar of white powder from her bag. Aha! And twisted the cap free. She dumped the powder on the porch, chanting a hymn in some unknown tongue. Unneeded, Michaela drifted over to the window, looked inside. Sabrina sat on the couch, enraptured by a static spewing television, evidently chewing her fingers off. Mom! she cried, banging on the window. Mom, let us in! The old woman tapped on the window. Sabrina! Hey, Sabrina? Sabrina sat bolt upright, not in response to their cries, but a scream coming from upstairs. Damien. Sabrina ran for the stairs. Michaela smacked the window again, but couldn't get her attention. What was going on in there? Nothing good. We have to get inside, Michaela said, tugging on Zephyr's arm. There's one last spell we can try. Find a rock, a big one. Michaela ran down the steps, jumping over the last, and landed in the grass. The flagstone walkway seemed to fit the bill. She leaned down, prying a rock loose at her fingers. The squirming horrors underneath went unnoticed, as did the fresh mud staining her hands, and she carried it back up the steps, swaying under its weight. Zephyr took the rock from her. I hope you're not parcel to that window. She squared up with the window, rock raised overhead, chest heaving. Michaela watched. Pulse pounding. One. Two. What the hell? The front door swung open and Hal stuck his head out. What in the world are you doing? Zephyr paused. Rock held high. Uh. Michaela, overcome with relief, rushed into the arms of her father. Dad, when did you? There, there, Hal said, patting her back while she hugged him tight. Everything's going to be okay. Daddy's home. Half full. The water ran. Damien struggled, but he was tired, so tired. Banging ineffectual fists against his mountainous abductor proved an ever more taxing chore. And the steam rising off the water almost looked inviting now, didn't it? Intellectually, he understood what was happening. Whoever this man was, he seemed bent on drowning Damien in the bath. And the more he sat there, tight in the man's grasp, the wet humidity of the room beating on his cheeks, the more he figured it didn't much matter at all. He had fought with everything he had, and his efforts had been for naught. Why keep trying, then? Why waste a little energy he had left on a futile endeavor? Damien had been a committed atheist for most of his life, except for a short Santa Claus-related dalliance. But even he could acknowledge his belief system was built on rationality, not direct knowledge. No one had direct knowledge of death except those who experienced it, and they remained famously tight-lipped about the whole thing. No one's better at seeking out silver linings than the profoundly doomed. I tried to warn you, the man said. I tried to make friends even. First day you moved in when you were out in the yard? The texts. Damien felt like a buffoon, assuming them some complicated sister play when in fact... Good enough, the man said. The spigots turned themselves off. Damien didn't know whether the apparently supernatural feat made him more or less scared. His pulse said one thing. Logic brain said something else entirely. Any hint of the supernatural was very good news for someone in his inescapable predicament. You're not human, Damien said, less a question than a statement. 
The male winked at him. Human is as human does, and thrust him beneath the surface. Hot water scoured Damien's skin. He tried to hold his breath, pushed on the sides of the tub, but an inexorable weight kept pressing him down, down, down. He tried. He really, really tried. But in the end, he inhaled. Back at the hospital, Detective Sherman was trying to rustle a bag of Doritos out of the vending machine when the nurse found her. Got those lab results on Haskins, the nurse said, handing her a printout. Sherman scanned it quickly. PTINR? Warfarin? Haskins wasn't supposed to be on blood thinners. And, hypothetically speaking, if someone wanted to poison her spouse like the nervous, aloof woman she had just interviewed, in addition to being a clinically prescribed anticoagulant, Warfarin was also widely used as a rat poison. Sherman knew from experience that dosing was crucial. Haskins imbibed enough to kill a child, but not a slightly overweight, almost middle-aged man. Common mistake. She reached for her radio. So, wait. Okay. I'm thinking that Zephyr drugged them all. Like the sandwiches were drugged. Obviously. And Sabrina's been tripping off it ever since. And that's why she's seeing things and all that kind of stuff. But the house was like that before she even came over there. So I don't know. I just know I feel like the, the neighbor is up to something funky. What's going on here, kiddo? Hal asked. And, and then there's that because this clearly is not Hal. What's going on here, kiddo? Hal asked, ruffling Michaela's hair. The question was spoken to her. But he kept looking at Zephyr, still poised at the living room window with a heavy flagstone braced in her hands. Mom's acting weird, so I went to get Miss Zephyr. Zephyr, Zephyr said, still not letting go of the rock. And now the door won't open and, and Mom won't let us in. The rush of words ended. Michaela burrowed into her father's chest, glad he was here. He could deal with it. Not her. This wasn't her job at all. Michaela's nose twitched. Her father usually smelled like some combination of Barbasol, Old Spice, and sweat. He smelled like some of those things now, but mostly? He smelled like their house. Drop the rock, Hal said. Look, Mr. Haskins, Zephyr interjected. I said, Hal thundered, flinging Michaela aside. Drop the GD rock. He tromped up the steps. Wait, what? Didn't he answer the door? Okay. The front door swung open and Hal stuck his head out. What in the world are you doing? Dad, when did you... Like, he's inside the house. Why is he now thundering up the steps? Zephyr, still holding the rock, backed away, butting against the porch swing, sending it backwards in a lazy arc. Mr. Haskins, I know we haven't officially met, but... Hal released a vicious backhand, knocking the flagstone out of Zephyr's hands. It sailed over the porch railing, end over end, embedding in a patch of grass. Dad! Michaela shouted, stunned by the sudden outburst. Zephyr tried to back away, fell down the porch. Hal loomed over her, fists bunching. Zephyr grabbed something from her pocket and threw it in his face. Powder, like flour in the old three stooges, covered his face, his cheeks, his chin. Hal blinked, wiped the stripe across his eyes with a forearm, and grabbed Zephyr by the hair. Spitting white powder, Hal yanked, audibly tearing her brown-gray hair out at the roots. Zephyr wailed, grabbing his hand. Dad, stop! Michaela shouted, but her feet were rooted in place. Zephyr screeched, clawed, but Hal didn't seem to notice. He dragged her across the porch, by the hair, and threw her down the steps. The old woman tumbled ass over elbows, landing in a spindly, mewling pile. You don't even live in a real house, Hal said. He spat in the dirt next to Zephyr. Zephyr pushed herself up to her hands and knees, blood trickled from her scalp, and pointed a gnarled, accusatory finger at Hal. I know what you are. Her finger dipped back down, scratching a quick pentagram in the dirt. She thrust her head back, arms outstretched, howling at the sky. Before me, Raphael. Behind me, Gabriel. At my right hand, Michael. At my left hand. Hal jumped off the porch, landing in the pentagram, a cloud of dust poofing up in his wake. He grabbed Zephyr again, 
by the throat rather than by the hair, cutting off her spell, her prayer, her lament. He cocked his head at Michaela. How much of a team player is she? Crack. Hal lifted the woman easily, shook her limp body in the direction of her house. Ha! How you like that? Then dropped her in the dirt. Michaela felt sick. She couldn't wrap her head around the fact that her dad, dad, had attacked the woman for no reason. She couldn't finish. How about some ice cream? Hal said, wiping his hands on his jeans. Michaela gaped at him, backing away, palms up. He looked exactly like her father, but something wasn't right. Not only his murderous behavior either. This wasn't her father. Just a perfect copy. Ignoring the dead woman on the ground, a moment she'd be rehashing her therapist for the next 30 years, Michaela ran across the lawn towards the side of the house. The thing, wearing her father's image like a perfectly cut suit, thundered after she pumped her arms, legs churning against the turf, but he was faster, slamming into her. She cried out, flying across the lawn, lateraling into the mower. The handle slammed into her side painfully and she fell over. Michaela landed on the grass, seeing stars, blinking at the late afternoon sky. Hal's grinning face filled her field of vision. Sabrina mounted the stairs, one by one, moving in a fog. At the landing, she paused, momentarily forgetting herself. Admired the fine finish on the banister, so smooth she could slide right down it without ever worrying about an errant splinter getting stuck in her keister. It really was a nice house, wasn't it? Her bedroom door was open, the sound of the filling bathtub echoing. She walked slowly down the hall, a nagging feeling driving her, although she couldn't quite remember what it was. Something she had seen on TV, but even though she had just watched the program, the details had already faded from her mind. The sound of running water abruptly cut off. She heard voices talking to each other, one calm, collected, the other high-pitched, panicked, afraid, very, very afraid. She burst through her bedroom door, nearly tripping on a pair of house shoes he had left next to the bed. A light was on the master bedroom. Steam walking out the door. Hello? Sabrina called and instantly felt very, very stupid. In here, a voice said, amiable and familiar, like when she prowled their old house trying to find Hal, catching him at his workbench, tinkering with some fritzing appliance. She entered, frozen in the doorway, the odd tableau stopping her in her tracks like a taser. The man from the experience, the man who was currently in prison and in her house, the simultaneous man, one could call him, sat on the end of the tub, casual, placidly grinning, one arm splayed across his knee, the other sunk in the bathwater up to the elbow, holding someone under, who, for their part, thrashed and kicked and splashed water all over the floor. The tiny basketball sneaker, size five, small for his age, told her precisely was being drowned in the tub. Hey, Perryman said, casual as you please. We're almost done here. What are you doing, Sabrina managed. I told you it would be better without him around. I've seen the way he torments you. But you can't. I only want to make your life easier, Sabrina. I can take care of everything. I have to because no one else will. The thrashing slowed. Sabrina felt sick to her stomach. No, she screamed, charging. She ran into Perryman, bouncing off, painfully slamming into the towel rack. He wagged a finger at her. Let me take care of this. He's been mean to you, and he did an awful, awful thing to me. You saw the living room. My beautiful floors. Stop it. Sabrina looked about for a weapon, anything. The welt on her back throbbed. She turned, grabbed the towel rack with both hands, and yanked it out the wall. Ow, quit it! Perryman cried, cringing. The distraction was enough. Damien broke the surface, sucked in a desperate breath, before being pushed down again. Sabrina summoned up every last bit of maternal strength she had and swung the towel rack at Perryman. The metal bar clunked off his forehead. Perryman blinked. That's not necessary. Sabrina hit him again. And again, flailing away, the blows landed on his head, his broad brow, across his mouth. Nothing. 
Sabrina whirled and hit the wall, taking a chunk out the drywall. Ouch! Again, Perryman's grip faltered. Damien snuck a breath. Sabrina clutched a towel rod in both hands, reared back, plunged into a wall. Gritting her teeth, she bore down, scoring a jagged, lightning strike slice in the drywall. Plaster dust erupted, a bitter, gritty cloud that scoured her throat, her nostrils. Stop, Perryman whined. Sabrina dropped the towel rod, gripped the hole in the wall with both hands and tore a large chunk free. No! Perryman hopped to his feet, grabbing her arms. He spun Sabrina around to face him, a pained expression on his face. Please don't do that. I'm, I'm just trying to help. A form erupted from the tub, splashing reddish water everywhere. Damien, soaking wet, makeup running down his face, a single askew horn clinging stubbornly to his forehead, vaulted out of the tub, slipped on the wet floor, careened into the sink. Perryman shoved Sabrina against the wall, moving faster than a man his size had any right and lunged for Damien. He tackled him, football style, wrapping the boy up in his arms. They both slammed into the cabinet, ripping it off the wall. Perfume bottoms fell, shattered, effervescent clouds of fruity florality filling the steamy air. Damien squirmed free, rolling in broken glass. Rivulets of blood ran down his face, his arms. Perryman tried to grab his ankle, but the boy juked too fast, slipping out of his grip and running out the door. His hands were on her. Rough. These were not her father's hands at all, soft from years of office work. He grabbed her throat, squeezed a breath from her lungs. Michaela panicked, raking his hands with her nails, small, paltry, cut to the quick because her parents wouldn't let her grow them out, not yet. But he didn't budge. He just kept grinning. Come on, you're the good one, Hal said, hot breath choking her as much as his hands, rattling a sawdust and mothballs and bleach. Not like Damien, you're mommy's little angel, aren't you? But she wasn't. She had never been. A daughter, yes. An angel? Never. Maybe soon, unless she did something. Later, she'd wonder why he didn't snap her neck like Zephyr's and eventually find an answer she could live with, if not understand, in those words, your mommy's little angel. In the moment, she had no time to ponder, only act. She got one hand under his fingers, vices for sure, giving her room to breathe while the other scrabbled above her head for a weapon, a rock, something she could bash into his daftly grinning face and buy herself the time and space needed to escape. Her fingers found the mower's pull cord. Instinctively, she yanked. The careened mower roared to life. The blades whirled, a great deathly gust ruffling her hair, whipping it across her face. The howl thing cocked his head to the side and loosened its grip. You want to help your dad with the grass? That, that's nice of you. See, I knew you weren't like the other one. You're a good little girl who does what she's told. Michaela sucked in her breath, her throat scratchy. She could barely hear him over the whooping mower, but nodded quickly. I'm a good girl, yes siree. Hal backed off, sat on his haunches. I'm so relieved. I really didn't want to. I, I don't like doing this. He gestured around the front of the house where Zephyr's body lay unseen. But when someone gets in the way, it makes it hard for me. I have to. He trailed off, shrugging. What are you going to do? Michaela squirmed out from under her father. She tried to look apologetic, waggled a fistful of loose hair at him. I need a hair tie. Then I'll help you with the grass. Hal grinned, clapped his hands. That would be great. Team Haskins. Woo! Michaela stood, circled around him, unwilling to turn her back. Don't be long, Hal said. It's going to be dark soon. I'll be right back. Part of her wanted to run for the street, but she knew that would be useless. He'd catch her in a second. And though he seemed to possess a childlike, simplistic understanding of his world, she couldn't count on outwitting him again. Then she saw it. The flagstone, half buried in the yard, one jagged end jutting up. Michaela moved casually, like she was actually going to grab a hair tie, watching the howl thing from her peripherals. Her hands shook. Could she really do this? The spasm eased. She could do this. She had to. In one quick motion, Michaela snatched up the flagstone, heavy, but like a feather in the hands of a desperate young girl. 
and turned, charging the Hal thing. The stone clutched tightly to her chest. Hal cocked his head to the side, rising. Michaela hefted the rock like a chest pass basketball. The stone caught the Hal thing in the face, snapping his head around. He fell, face first, into the mower's rapidly spinning blades. Crunch! The Hal thing's body jumped in spasm as the blades tore through his face. He flailed, pushed at the mower. One hand got caught in the blades, then clunk, clunk, clunk. The mower stopped. The air smelled like burning metal. If the Hal thing were human, the lawn should by all rights be covered in a spray of blood and gore, lacerated flesh, splintery bone chips. But no. The detritus spewed across the lawn looked more like wood shavings and powdered drywall than anything that might have come from a human body. Michaela gave the corpse a wide berth, inching over to the flagstone, picked it up again, pressed the weight against her, comforting like a heavy blanket. She watched for any sign of movement, any hint the nightmare might not be over. The howl thing stirred. Michaela jumped back, unable to believe it. The body... That's what it was now, a body, twitched. Its undamaged hand pushed first at the mower's casing, then at the ground. Its head, what was left of it, wobbled from left to right, like a drunk trying to shake the cobwebs out. Oh no, Michaela muttered. A noise, a wailing cry of not exactly pain, but a close cousin, emerged from the creature's ruined mouth. It worked its way up to its knees. Michaela, gripping the rock, moved behind it, trying to stay out of view. Had it ever really seen? Could it still? A question for philosophers. Shouldn't he take up the case of the bizarre happenings of 4596 James Circle? Not little girls trying their level best to survive. The wailing stopped. The howl thing pushed back up to its knees, one-handed. The other dangled at its side. Shirt sleeves shredded at the wrist, lacerated wood and dangling wires poking out. Michaela raised the stone above her head. She let out an animalistic squall and charge, ready to finish the job the mower started. Then the howl thing turned, and the sight froze her in her tracks. Damien ran, bloodied, heart pounding, gasping for breath. He mustered what strength he could and launched himself out of the bathroom, rocketing towards the bedroom door. It slammed shut in his face. Damien jumped back, bumped off his parents' bed, grabbed the doorknob and twisted, but it held fast. Perryman's large shape filled the bathroom doorway. Get back here, you little... Ah! Something shattered in the bathroom. He twinged in pain. Please don't do that! Damien took advantage of the distraction and ran for the window, pushing it open. He tried to crawl out, but the window slammed shut, nearly severing his fingers. Perryman roared, charging him. Damien ducked under the man's outstretched arms, seized the lamp off the nightstand, the plug offering the slightest resistance before coming free, and threw it at the window, hard as he could. The window shattered. Perryman yowled. Another loud crash from the bathroom, maybe the picture window by the tub, the mirror, something, and Perryman fell to his knees. Tears streamed down his big, ruddy face. Sabrina appeared in the bathroom doorway, brandishing the towel rack like a sword. Break something, now! Damien grabbed the closest thing at hand, an end table, lifted it high and slammed it into the floor. The legs splintered. Perryman grinned. Not our stuff, Sabrina cried. Break the house! Damien stared at her, confused, until Sabrina slammed the towel rod into the wall, lanced some very nice wallpaper. Perryman fell back to his knees, hands covering his face. They're connected. Damien looked about for something sturdy he could use to dig into the walls. Nothing. Then a light breeze fluttered across his face. Not from the window. The ceiling fan. Damien dodged another wild swing from Perryman and jumped on the bed, a child all over again, leaping for the ceiling fan. Thankfully, it was on the slow setting. He caught the fan blades on the first try. He spun around for a single dizzying moment, soggy sneakers kicking out. Though small for his age, the ceiling fan was made to hold no weight at all. Even something so slight as the underweight 4D chess master like Damien Haskins. The fan blades broke off in his hands. 
Damien fell not far, landing on the bed and bouncing off. His sneakers squelched when he hit the ground. Perryman, who had been rhinocerosing his way across the bedroom, suddenly seized up like he had thrown out his back and fell to the ground. Go, Sabrina said, tearing another chunk of drywall free, exposing studs and wiring and mouse turds. Get out of here! Damien, still holding the fan blades, the fan itself hung limply from its wiring, an eye yanked from its socket, didn't move. What about you? The pile of Perryman on the floor stirred, pushing up to his knees. I'll be fine. It's you he wants. Now go. Damien swallowed. She had a point. He clambered for the window, pushing through feet first, cutting his palms open on the glass, sticking out the frame. Barely felt it. He hauled his small body through the aperture. The ground looked far, far away, even for an adult, but it beat drowning in the bathtub. Perryman huffed with rage. Sabrina tossed a towel rod on the comforter, climbed up on the bed, and grabbed a limply hanging ceiling fan by its casing. Perryman looked at her, at his original quarry hanging out the window, back again. He took a single, heavy step in Damien's direction. Mom? Damien called. Jump, Sabrina replied, yanking on the ceiling fan's motor for all she was worth. Damien pushed himself away from the window, hanging motionless for what felt like an eternity. Too late, it occurred to him there was something he really should have said. I love, he called as gravity bore both child and words away. The howl thing, faceless, stared at her, his skin shorn off, revealing what should have been bone and tissue. But it, it was not. Michaela goggled, trying to make sense of the sight. The ragged rim of skin around Hal's face revealed an exposed 4 by 4 bristling with nails, wiring, screws, an improbable mismatch of construction materials, dappled with drywall flecks like powdered sugar. Hal took a staggering step towards her, dark brown clumps of like rat feces falling out of his face. You're no angel, he said, lipless, the word resounding from somewhere within his ruined face. Look what you did to me. Look what you did. Michaela screamed, equally terrified by the sight and the pure, incandescent rage frothing forth from the howl thing. She raised a flagstone over her head, hands shaking so badly she feared she smashed her own skull open before the howl thing, house thing, had a chance. Ah! she cried, heaving the stone. It sailed through the air, slammed into the house thing's torso. The house thing tottered, took a step back, and laughed. A dusty, echoing noise. The house thing bent down, tried to pick up the flagstone one-handed, but only succeeded in tipping the stone over its foot. Oh well, it said, righting itself. I don't need that. The house thing rushed her, one hand outstretched, the other ruined appendage hanging at its side, frayed wires wiggling like earthworms. Shots rang out, bullet holes erupted in the house thing's shirt. The thing slowed, dust whooshing out of the wounds. Michaela, ears ringing, turned and ran. A woman in a brown pantsuit stood on their lawn, aiming a pistol at the house thing, flanked by three other cops holding handguns. Two police cruisers, lights flashing, were parked in the street behind them at odd angles. Detective Sherman, Jackson Hill PD, the woman cried. Get down, Michaela. Michaela had no time to wonder how the woman knew her name. She hit the deck hard and pressed her hands over her ears as tightly as she could. She still heard everything. Dozens of shots. Too many to count. Someone picked her up, and then she was moving. The world swang wildly around her. For a moment, she feared the house thing had gotten a hold of her, but the person smelled like a man. Aftershave and sweat, and she could see his blue uniform, hear the radio hissing in her ear. They reached a patrol car. Her savior wrenched the back door open, shoved her inside, and then shut the door. Michaela twisted around the seat, trying to see, but the cop backed up against the window. More shots rang out. He reloaded and then advanced again, firing quickly. Despite herself, Michaela pressed up against the glass to see what was going on. The house thing, bullet ravaged, teetered across the lawn. Sherman barked orders, popped off a few shots, ejected her clip and slammed a new one home in a single smooth motion. One of the other cops broke away, running for the cruiser. Michaela thought he was going to drive her away 
And how could he? Her mother was still inside, not to mention her brother, but he angled around to the trunk. Came back into view a second later, racking a shotgun. He yelled something. Michaela could hear very little through the glass and tossed the gun to Sherman. She dropped her pistol, caught it, whirled around to face the house thing, only a few feet away. She aimed at a knee and fired both barrels. The buckshot tore the house thing's leg in half, instantly dropping it. The cops circled it, still pumping bullets, but it didn't rise again. The ankle broke his fall. Wait, that wasn't right. The fall broke his ankle. He might have hit his head too, but that was a far less pressing concern. His foot was twisted at a weird angle. What novelty. He had never supposed an ankle could bend that way. Damien's logic brain realized that he was being a bit too magnanimous about his ankle, determined he must be in shock, and crawled away from the God's curse home before the pain, surely coming soon, and with the vengeance made him black out. He inched across the grass, pleasantly surprised by his pace. Maybe he should crawl everywhere, to the bus stop, Mr. Tuthill's class, the bathroom, and the principal's office, and, and everywhere else he ever had to go. Then the air erupted with gunshots. Lots of gunshots. Yelling, too. Snatches of undecipherable orders or anger in between fusillades. Damien had no idea what they were talking about or what they were shooting at, for that matter. The smart move was usually to crawl away from gunfire, but he was pretty sure that they had said something about police. The gunfire stopped. Grass-stained, wet, and bloody, Damien ran at the house and saw four police officers huddled over something on the front lawn, firearms at the ready. Thinking quickly, he broke off the last horn on his head and tossed it away, then pushed himself up into a seat. Over here, he cried, waving his hands. One of the cops holstered their pistol and sprinted across the lawn. I've got you, the cop said, picking Damien up with ease. He shivered, reminded of the way Perryman had grabbed him. The cop asked him his name and told him he was very brave. Damien found it a bit patronizing and hauled him over to a cruiser. Michaela waited inside, face and fingers pressed up against the window. She scooched away when the cop opened the door and planted him on the seat. We'll take a look at that ankle in a sec. Hold tight for me, okay? The cop thumbed his radio, barked something about EMS and where the F were they? Michaela hugged Damien tightly. My God, are you okay? I think so. He leaned out the car, head swimming, nearly falling over into the street. My mother's still in there, he said, pointing up at the house. The man said, watch your legs and shut the door. And then they were alone. What happened? Michaela asked, still clinging to him fiercely. Damien looked at her house, searching for clues in the windows. I honestly have no idea. Even in her college days, Sabrina had never, ever wrecked a house outside of the occasional broken beer bottle or the time some spindly sub-Ikea kitchen chair collapsed under her weight in front of all her friends, to her horror. Now she was making up for lost time. With Damien out the window, the fight seemed to leave Perryman. He cowered in the corner, pleading with her to stop. She did not. Sabrina liberated one of Hal's golf clubs from his closet, a far better tool than a towel rod, and got to work smashing windows, shattering the sink in the kids' bathroom, knocking shower heads to the ground. Perryman crawled down the hall after her, on his knees, begging. She ignored him, instead rearing back and cracking the tile. Then she turned the faucets on full blast, swung at the pipes underneath the sink one, two, three times, knocking them loose. Water rushed out. The jet soaking the bathroom. Perryman made no effort to stop her. He lay splayed across the hardwood floor in the hallway, one arm reaching pitifully, the other twisted beneath his bulk. Sabrina cracked a few more divots in the drywall, but what was she doing? Tearing the murderer's house down by hand? Silly and impractical when she could just douse it in gasoline. There was a Texaco down the street. She could be there and back in minutes. Sabrina nodded to herself. She had been flailing, striking out in desperation and anger, but this, this was calculated. She was in control. Then, Perryman started melting into the floorboards. Slowly, his skin lost its consistency. 
features distorting, melting like candle wax. Inch by inch, his body sucked into the floor, reabsorbed by the house. And if that wasn't horrible enough, the floor suddenly tilted on its axis, sending her flying down the hall. Fire trucks, sirens blaring, filled the cul-de-sac, followed by ambulances. Damien and Michaela watched from the back of the police cruiser. Two firefighters hopped off the truck, had a quick conference with the police. They were still huddled around the house thing, or what was left of it, unwilling to point their weapons away, disbelieving a threat like that could ever truly be vanquished. And then Detective Sherman broke away, opened the cruiser door. Is anybody going to ask about the dead woman on the lawn? They're going to look at you in a second, she said, speaking to both Haskins' children, gesturing at some EMTs piling out of an ambulance. Several firefighters wearing breathing apparatus and carrying axes were heading up the lawn, flanked by the other cops. You're going to get my mom out of there, right? Damien said. At his side, he could sense Michaela's sharp intake of breath at his words. My mom. Why we're here? Sherman said with a tight smile. Your dad's test results. We just want to talk to her, okay? Where is my dad? Michaela asked. Sherman narrowed her eyes. Something he ate didn't agree with him. He's in the hospital, but he's okay. Michaela breathed a sigh of relief. So, um, you kids have any idea what's going on around here? Michaela shrugged. Damien shook his head. Maybe a gas leak's gotta be, right? Sherman said. She cast a look over her shoulder at the thing on the lawn. Yeah, gas leak. The EMTs were approaching, both carrying red plastic tackle boxes. Sherman stood, patting the roof of the cruiser. I'm going to find your mom and then... A loud noise rent the air and the ground quaked. Damien craned his neck around the detective to see what was happening. Their house was crooked. Canted at an angle. It rocked back the other way like a boat in rough seas. The air filled with a loud thrumming noise that rattled his teeth but throbbed his eyeballs. The house shifted one way again, then the other, the roof swinging wildly. And then the house rose. An impossible sight, surely, and maybe the cop was right about a gas leak. One so virulent, the errant carbon monoxide switched cheese Damien's brain. But no, this was real. The house stood on four concrete pillars. Legs, dirt raining down from where to rip free of its moorings. A structure in flux, some walls contracted while others expanded, windows shattered, raining glass down on the cops and firefighters who had been preparing to make entry, and now were either frozen in place or running for their lives. The house's transformation completed in an instant, morphing from the run-of-the-mill craftsman to a mutated beast Mr. Gustav Stickley would have never envisioned, no matter how much laudanum he dropped. Balanced now on four legs, the house, the house, looked like something the Power Rangers might square off against. Some square footage had been repurposed into what seemed like arms, hanging at the sides, one fist crowned with a chimney, the other made from aluminum siding. The front door banged open, and a bestial howl emerged, one that shook the cop car on a suspension, nearly bowling Sherman over. The howl died out, and for a moment, all was silent. Man, fuck this house, one cop yelled and fired indiscriminately at the Haskins home. The house roared again, advanced across the yard, its four concrete feet punching holes in the grass. A firefighter tripped and was crushed. One of the remaining cops whirled and fired a few shots, but the house swung its chimney arm, hitting him so hard he sailed across the street and landed somewhere behind Zephyrs, presumably splattered like an insect. Sherman barked commands into a radio, calling for backup from both the local PD and God himself. The house swatted another officer, crushing his arm, jagged bone slicing through his uniform sleeve. He slipped, firing with his good hand. A stray bullet caught Sherman right in the face. One second she was standing next to him, then her head snapped back, blood missing the window. Come on, we have to go, Michaela said, yanking Damien's sleeve. He turned to look at her. Amazed his sister could be so calm in the face of, of all this. 
Of course, he couldn't know she had already grappled with impossibility once that afternoon, gazed right into his lawnmower-bitten face, but she seemed so self-possessed, and he was so confused, Damien knew there was only one option that made sense. To trust in her completely. Let's go. Michaela crawled over him, carefully, since the other door was locked, extended a hand. Here, lean on me. He threw his arm around her shoulders, let her help him to his one good foot. They turned, together, like late entrance to the three-legged race of field day. The house's shadow loomed large over them. The Haskins children, conjoined, stared up at the 2,000-square-foot monstrosity blocking out the sinking sun, the sky, everything. Too shocked to even scream when his concrete feet stamped down. 916-633-1537, Wretched and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. You can leave a review on Spotify, it takes like 13 seconds. You can also leave a review on uh, Podchaser, copy and paste that into Apple Podcasts, and then copy and paste that into the Good Pods app. You can donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast. One dollar will get you a ton of content. Uh, you can also donate to the show at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast or on the Good Pods app. You can leave a tip in the tip jar. Thank you so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to you later. Peace. Outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this feat. This is Single Simulcast.